Good morning, vendors and non-vendors alike, and welcome to Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nick.com's Legend of Korra series. This week, the Legend of Korra comes to a close on the day of the Colossus. Friendships are forged, families are saved, couples are made, and our dear Republic City is changed forever. Did our hosts survive the battle only to be slain by the fields? Let's ask Matt, Dave, Devendra, and Joanna. Slain by the fields. Uh, hello and welcome to Republic City Dispatch, our episode for the grand finale. The, the series is over. Uh, it's been a two-year journey for us, which is kind of amazing because there's four seasons, mm-hmm. four books, I should say, uh, and somehow it's all been crammed into two years. We, di- we started this April 14th, 2012, and now this is the end. Uh, the end of what? Republic City Dispatch with me, Matt Patches, Devendra Hardwar. Hello, hello. Joanna Robinson. Hello. And Dave Gonzalez. Be the leaf. (laughs) (laughs) Dave has promised he's going to do quite a bit of singing. Uh, Channel Prince Wu here and do some singing on this episode just to close things out, just to get you excited. Right, Dave? I could could have revenge on you and sing the very lengthy summary, but we'll save the singing for something less lengthy. Uh, Yes. Why don't we jump into our conversation here about uh, Day of the Colossus and The Last Stand, this finale, this twofer. Uh, Dave, what happened all right, Day of the Colossus. Boleyn lifts the rubble to reveal our heroes survived the attack at the end of last week. The Metal Clan and Team Avatar attempt to take down the Colossus by bending means as Asami and Varric go to work on the flying mech prototypes that were not destroyed. After dropping a building on the Colossus, does- Colossus doesn't work. Team Avatar regroups, and Batar Jr. tells them the only way is to take down the Colossus from the inside. Lin retrieves Hiroshi from jail to help Varric and Asami upgrade the mech suits, and right before the climactic battle, Varric proposes to Zuli. The benders manage to slow the mech suit down long enough for Hiroshi to sell sacrifice cutting a hole in the mech suit and then the last stand lin su bolin and mako and Korra get inside the colossus and take it down in teams lin su disable the weapon causing kuvira to rip her mech's arm and weapon off uh mako and bolin get to the heart of the mech where mako overloads it with lightning and Korra takes on kuvira and her space metal in the head mako blows up the colossus but kuvira escapes into the spirit wilds where she discovers her weapons amongst the vines she turns it on causing the overload because of all the spirit energy in the area and right when the weapon is about to go wild and kill kuvira <laughs> Korra bends the spirit energy and creates a new spirit portal Korra and kuvira talk it out in the spirit world acknowledging their similarities before returning to republic city and ending the war president Raiko decides to expand the city to include the new portal and a battle-weary avatar goes hand in hand into the spirit sunset with Asami. Now that the podcast is over, Dave is going to become an auctioneer. Woo down! <laughs> Woo down! That was, uh, that was on point, Dave. Uh, this is the part of the podcast where we usually uh, beg people to go on iTunes and review us or leave ratings or subscribe. Uh, probably there's no point in doing that because the show is concluding in some <laughs> oh, way. Tell your friends. You can still go back and listen to the archives. That is the amazing thing. Yeah, there are still people friends. discovering it. Yeah, yeah. Your friends like heard about this finale and are like, hey, maybe I want to check that show out. Tell them to watch while listening to yeah. Yeah. You know, the show. Uh, and, and it's easy yeah. to get started in the show now, too, right? Because the first two seasons are on Amazon Prime. So if you're a yes. customer, you can stream it for free. And I'm sure the whole series will be on Amazon Prime. Yes. Yeah. And the, the nice thing about the fact that we've been doing this live for two years is that you get to hear all the really stupid things we said in the first book about how this is all going to end up. <laughs> I cannot imagine. I've been enjoying. <laughs> really? I can't imagine listening to those early podcasts. We must sound so stupid. Co, where was Co in this finale? Jeez, Louise, come on. Um, but yeah, I, I also want to take a moment and just say thanks to everyone who has been engaging with the show week to week. I am like, I was, I was in tears at the end of the series finale, and then I was in tears again reading everyone's comments. There's like 150 comments on this thread on RepublicCityDispatch.com, and it's just amazing discussion. And you know what? Brike is there. 
No, okay. Break impersonator <laughs> probably is, is on that I chain. believe for 30 milliseconds. Yes, it was, it was a good feeling right right when I saw it. And then when I started reading it, I'm like, oh, yeah, there, I don't think there's going to be a season five book book uh, five energy coming in 2015. I'm sorry, everybody, but uh, getting our hopes up. Anywho, let's talk about the series finale. And usually I think I, it makes sense to start in a very broad way. Uh, Broadway. But... <laughs> I, I have to hone in on an image here because uh, I don't know where our conversation is going and just say how awesome it was to see Bolin coming out of the rubble looking like Superman picking up this giant piece of building. <laughs> he really – that was like a Superman. Yeah. That was Action Comics number one right there. Yeah. It was awesome. Bolin <laughs> redeemed. That's where I'm starting. There's things. so many great images from these two episodes too. Yeah. It's incredible stuff. I mean I think this whole battle – uh, against the, the Titan is uh, it's up there with Avengers. A lot of it mm-hmm. reminded me of yes. that uh, New York yeah. City fight in Avengers, including Korra like coming down on a building Hulk style, like ripping through it. That is yes. a Hulk moment. Yeah. Oh man! And there there's so many like hero shots too of the whole group. Like right after uh, right after the holes cut open, uh, right before the end of the first episode, right they they just all kind of like jump forward using their powers. And it's such a great like X Men moment too. Uh, reminds me of everything I love about superheroes. And they're like at the yeah the first episode closes with them like sort of hunched there, <laughs> the wind ruffling their hair so as they get yeah. ready to take it down. It's yeah. very splashy. Um, yeah. And Tenzin had this amazing like twirling motion that i swear we've never seen him do before Mm, yeah so yay it was nice that after a season of a giant thing giant spirit fight and then a season of a really complex bending fight they slammed them both together and i'd been like prepped by two previous books that it was like exactly what i wanted and i didn't know especially for like somebody (laughs) who had mech mech logic problems last week yeah you were worried i'll I'll address this week in a very (laughs) A very nice, you know, what satisfied Death Star. You? What satisfied me? Or you're, yeah, um, about the explanation, because I'm not exactly sure what moment. Just seeing its inside, seeing how it was powered? I mean, okay, the super geek out moment for me was when I realized that she was using the easier to bend space metal in like gyroscopes. Yes. And so it wasn't like yeah. she was bending the arm to aim that way. She was doing that. There was like a, there was a reason that Kuvira was capable of controlling this robot by herself, and it wasn't just like a whole bunch of levers like I thought it was. That it took was this me, that took cool me three gyroscope watches to, to understand because that scene where Korra busts through the door is so quick, and it's, it's just unbelievable how we can register it with our brains, but every, every frame is moving. I don't know how many frames per second that's running at, but like that fight was insane. But yeah, in the third watch, I noticed her pull that metal goop and like turn it into a shield or stretch. It's, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, so it makes sense because that's easier to bend. So it makes sense that, you know, she's already a super powerful metal bender. So it makes sense to me now how this thing works. And then especially that we got to see its heart and got to go inside of its arm. It's heart. I was like, oh, hey. Well, yeah, it's spirit vine heart. Aw. Well, I mean, we blew it up, so don't get yeah. don't anthropomorphize <laughs> it too it. much. <laughs> Maka blew it to smithereens. Not like, don't you know. anthropomorphize it. The, the the episode anthropomorphized it. I love seeing the Airbenders like s- flying around this thing and seeing it try and swat them away. Yeah, yeah, like bugs. That, was <laughs> that was hilarious, and it's, it's like, like the, the perfect of... framing. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. it, I I guess it was the heart, but didn't it look like a brain? Like the spirit didn't yeah, it look like, like a glowing gnarled. spirit brain? Oh, you mean like. Krang, the brain in the center oh, yeah. of the body. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
That's incredible. <laughs> well, can we, can we talk a little about why this action works? I'm interested to hear wh- what you guys think. And I, I, Cora always provokes this thought mm-hmm. about its direction, about how something animated can feel tangible. It can feel, or, or tactile might be the better word there, um, where you can feel the energy, you can feel the rush of a character like falling and, and swooping in to get them. Why does it all work? Why does it feel, especially this battle, feels like live action to me in mm-hmm. some way? It can transcend the fact that it's being animated. I mean, Korra's always had a great, and the Avatar series as well, like they, it's always, they've had a great sense of scale. So you kind of know where our heroes stand com- you know, compared to the, the villains or whoever they're fighting. Uh, but at the same time, they can stage things in really interesting ways too, right? They're not cutting away from the action. They're not, I, I've seen some more recent like Americanized shows where action is happening. But it's not really detailed. It's not really interesting. So like action tempted. shows, yeah, no, like cartoon shows, mm. where so you could see things are happening, but it's not. It just it's not choreographed. There isn't really much thought put into what's going on. I'm also seeing that honestly in some of the new Star Wars series too. Like I just don't yeah. care at all for the animation there. Whereas here you could see that okay, somebody choreographed this. Somebody thought about this. We know the rules of how their powers work. So there's this whole like uh, structure of how the universe works and like what the characters can and can't do. And it's it's just all about how it kind of deals with that i love that uh, in this show particularly all the action is totally character focused you know bolin lifting up the uh, the building so everybody could get out that is a total bolin sort of self-sacrifice m- a moment uh mako basically trying to uh, putting himself to, to die at the end that's so mako uh little things like that um like when the arm is flying off and uh lin and cian are just like they're f- kind of floating and i think it's lin who bends the metal to like <laughs> strap them to the side? Like, like it's such a quick belts. thing. It's a it's a quick yeah. thing, but it makes sense because you can see instantly her thought is to protect her and her sister. Always so those things belt. all work together. Yeah, exactly. These, yeah, these are things that we really started praising the series for in book two, um, with basically everything after the beginning uh-huh. uh, episodes. Uh, we really liked the action. I remember, and then book three, I remember being really impressed with once we started taking on the Lotus. Uh, the way that the action would choreograph and the way it eventually built very subtly to Sue being able to kill this person in like a very quick way. And I understood that where, you know, uh, Zaheer could see it from and I understood why she had to protect her sister with like lethal force and, you know, Sue and all this. So the fact that they were able to do a sort of a whole series culmination where it's like we get our pairs that we really care about, but they're also the pairs who do awesome bending together mm-hmm. and uh, they work together to take down this giant mech suit. Much like they take down the drill in Avatar The Last Airbender, which is systematically, mm-hmm. except they have this now like um emotional center which is Cora who's just going to the head and just trying to make as much time as possible so it's like yeah go ahead oh no it has a good like action structure of there are multiple things that we care about but the thing we care about most is a single person with a single focus and so we could you know you could get involved with the relationships or you could care about how the you know mech works if you're me and emotionless and you know <laughs> it, it's valid either way and it's going to engage you on all of those levels simultaneously. Don't worry, Dave. I know you have a beating vine brain heart in the middle of you somewhere. powered by spirit energy no i mean it it really is amazing when you think about it the way they were able to accomplish emotional storytelling within the action which you guys have already covered so i don't want to just 
reiterate it too much, but we haven't covered it too much. Tell I us. I mean, well, just watching watching the air that you know, Patch has told us before we watched this episode because he watched it first that we were probably going to cry or he cried. So I knew I was going to cry because I'm way more of a marshmallow than anyone here. Uh, Patches that I might be tied. <laughs> you belong um, in the spirit world if you're a marshmallow. But um, but watching the Airbender family work together, like that's when I started crying, and that's crazy. But you know, and then yeah, watching Varric and Julie, watching Asami and her father, watching uh, Bolin and Mako, watching the Beifong sisters, and then watching Korra do this most important battle, sort of like with her shadow self, which is essentially who Kuvira is, like, that's incredible that they could do this really clear-cut action. Like Devendra said, it was easy to follow and wrap in all of this emotional stuff. So we got, you know, it would have been awful if Bolin and Mako hadn't gotten to have a, a, a brother right. moment in this finale or if the Beifong sisters hadn't right. gotten to have their moment. And we got to have all of that with wrapped into the action, which is just incredible. Well, so. well let, me, let me play devil's advocate here. Uh, is there enough Korra in this episode when you think about it? Like, do, do, do we do we really conclude Korra's journey? Is there just so much going on that we don't really kind of settle her story in, in the most elegant way possible? I don't know if you felt that way. or. I, I mean, I think they spent a lot of this book making sure they wouldn't feel that way. And right. I feel less that way now that I know the conclusion. Like, I think... I've said previous times this season, I think they could have condensed some of the flashbacks and whatnot into different parts because we spent so much time going over and over this idea that, you know, this uh, trauma to Korra was real and she wasn't learning anything from it, really. So when it, you know, got down these last two hours and Korra was just like, all right, let's do it. I'm like, okay, good. Let's save this all for the the one-on-one. And so I'm glad that it, you know, ended up happening in the spirit world because I think I would have felt a little bit cheated if Cora was able to beat her way out of this predicament. But it's also <clears throat> because they set it up all season to be this sort of battle of Cora with herself, which is like my thesis that I'm sticking hard to, um, that then her fight with Kuvira is an emotional beat for her. Um, and so it's not just action. And, and this is an ensemble show. I mean, Cora is important, but, but we would have been so mad if we hadn't gotten to visit all of our favorite characters uh, before the end. So yeah. there was um, a, I think it's oh, important they spread it out the way they did. Definitely. There was a time period after book one where Patches ha- had talked to somebody who talked to somebody who <laughs> knew the outline of the next three books. And I remember he said that the last season was going to be negative Cora. And we, I thought at the time that meant negative Avatar. And I was like, oh. And so book two came along and I was like, oh. So I <laughs> Wait, guess that, that happened already. Just, I guess <laughs> yeah. that guy was just full of poop. But now, Joanna, you saying that, it's very possible that that person t- was telling us the truth all along well, in the last season was Recall the beginning of Korra. this book as well. Mm-hmm. There's a literal Nega Negacora. Negacora. Maybe they said Nega and Patches misunderstood. Nega. And the spoiler was that Cora realizes that, uh, you know, uh, Kuvira was a Negacora all along. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Love was the answer. But yeah, no, I like I like that rather than I know I don't know. Three weeks ago, it would have been like take her bending away, Cora. You have that power. Actually, yeah. people, that was, people are complaining about episode. that. Yeah. Well, and, and Patches and I talked about that. I mean, I don't know if it's too early to get there, but there was a <clears throat> someone recorded a reaction video to the ending of the episode, which I don't really want to talk too much about. But wrapped within that bogus analysis was. 
this idea that Kuvira's conclusion, the way it was concluded, made her a weaker villain. And that this particular reviewer resented the fact that it was emotion like Kuvira's uh, journey was concluded emotionally like oh it's all about her parents abandoning her and that's why she's so sad and that's why she's <laughs> evil and it's like I, I I disagree I don't think it's gendered mm-hmm. I don't think it's sexist I think it makes her an interesting nuanced character and it was a very satisfying conclusion to right. me Cora like you know reached out to her and that's right. what worked in this yeah. particular scenario and I also I don't think the whole orphan thing is the entirety of Kavira's character right because right? we've right. seen so much of her I, I honestly did think that felt a little forced like oh I totally I can relate to you on this level I can understand you because you're an orphan and I don't I don't think the show says being an orphan is why Kavira did all of these things but it's uh, you know it it does work in a shorthand way so well, I can understand why some people just see that and be like oh yeah. really that's it I don't know that that's what I I, I I didn't read it as that's mm-hmm. it. It's it's I, I like that she has a problem that hasn't been driving her necessarily, or that we right. haven't lingered on. Like if her whole thing was I am an orphan and I'm going to destroy all these people who've scorned me over the years, um, <laughs> that would just be horrible. <laughs> you know that that would be mustache twirling. Well, that's I mean that's Batman too. We bring up Batman a lot, but that was that's the whole basis, you know, but of Batman's philosophy, but different. Right. But it's about protecting, and, and when you right, get to right. this sort of balance thing, it's about she has the same desire that Cora does. Is she wants to protect her people she just took it to an extreme and and cora i mean this is a way that cora could go if if she got a little too warped about the way in which she tried to protect her people she could have gone the way of kuvira in theory if she didn't have a spirit a centered spirit or tenzin or any sort of thing Um, she accidentally started a civil war in the second book and since then has been really hands-off well and then got kicked out of her public city in the third book so yeah she hasn't had (laughs) a lot of political luck right so but it's all about you know what might have been for cora and cora understanding that and so then not seeing her Kuvira as an enemy, but as a, like a, a part of herself that she can reach out to and heal, sort of, you know. Yeah, and I think that the show had set up redemption as part of this uh, book's arc, uh, both with Hiroshi and with Zahir. Yeah. yeah. In terms of previous villains that had been willing to do anything, sort of coming back and contributing in major ways. And so. Bitar Junior. Well, I don't forget about. I don't think he was around long enough for me to call him a major villain. <laughs> that was an interesting yeah. comment. I, it was either on our um, Tumblr or elsewhere that someone was like, "Okay, so Sue marches Kuvira off and says, you'll pay for what you've done.'" Um, but the question was, does Batar Junior get a free pass? Like, is his mom going to be like, "But Batar Junior has suffered. Totally he got fine. a concussion and his heart got broken." Pardon so, from Lord okay. Rhymes for being a cutie. <laughs> For being a a nice son, they call that they call that the Bolin pardon. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Bolin should probably be on trial in the yeah. aftermath of this. Uh, you know, there's yeah. a Hague. If there's a Hague and Zuko's daughter is running it, <laughs> everyone's going. And, I mean, we love Varric, but Varric, like, uh, Varric, oh my god, like, war crimes, that is the entirety of his business. That's how right. we, he, we were introduced to him, but now we love him as this lovable rascal. Right, um, exactly. I would love to see the aftermath of all of this. Uh, of yeah, lovable, I would love to see the Hank version. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of lovable rascal, where's Kai? Kai didn't really oh. get a great moment. Good, he's gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Kai. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't room for a lot of people. Opal took a tumble. 
in this uh, episode. My girlfriend was worried because she didn't see Opal at the uh, uh-huh. at the at the wedding. Opal's there. Well, they danced. Yeah, yes. I want yeah. everyone who just like yeah. took to the comment section or public dispatch <laughs> to yell at me. Opal is definitely in the wedding. I saw her. Uh, there's another. There's another commenter that's like. Oh, was confused that we got so much Milo this episode after seemingly have followed following Janora for like the entire series. That was interesting, but Janora had such true. a big moment in book three that we didn't. It's the same reason we didn't get a lot of Tenzin in this uh, in this book. Right, I mean, they right. had the Airbender moment in book three. This wasn't really their place to shine. Right. That was my question: Is like, do we feel like the Airbender story was concluded in book three, and so then they were side characters yeah. in this, and it was Earth Nation right. time? I'm- I guess that's yeah, that's possible. And we saw we saw Janora grow. We saw uh, you know Milo grow a little. I love that the idea to do the paint balloons came from him because obviously that's just like a child's way of thinking of this. And nobody, no big military strategist did. But did we see anything from Icky other than being annoying? Uh, she did the thing. <laughs> Oops. Um, uh, <laughs> the episode where they're looking for Cora, but I don't think this season. I don't think she's done anything for like four episodes. That is, yeah, this, yeah that was this season where she. I mean, she kidnapped. was in the final battle, but just sort of was she. Yeah, she with... saved Janora. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. She was in the final battle. Yeah. But yeah, if you want to know exactly where I started crying, it's when Milo saved Tenzin. When Milo got up under Tenzin and like saved him, I yeah, which was a really loaded moment. And and I went in the comments on our site and talked to some people about this because the way that they frame that shot where Tenzin is falling and Milo swoops in to save him, we have this like low angle shot of Milo falling and trying to keep Tenzin up so that he just hit the ground. And you're like, here it comes, here comes the (laughs) fart. Get ready to fart. <laughs> it's true. It's and true. then we no were all fart. For it. And I was like, wait, what? This is the one. I, that didn't make any sense to me. And I think that was wise not to do the fart. Although we did get to have Milo uh, face planted on the front of the Colossus. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a pure Milo moment. We can have Breathing that bit of fun. on the window. Yeah. Right. It, it right. did make me wonder. They, they talk about, sometimes Brian and Mike on their tumblers talk about doing retakes um, and I, Dave, maybe you have insight into this when they're, when they're discussing retakes and going back and I guess they're taking notes and sending them the studio mirror and they're redoing scenes. I don't know how quickly that can happen or like what the timeline is about retakes and that process, but it, it made me think about that scene with, with, um, Milo and it's like, this is setting up for a fart and there is no fart. And I wonder if there was, and then they saw it and they're like, this kind of takes away from the emotional beat of saving tens and getting Joanna to cry, uh, from saving his father. <laughs> yeah, the fart, a fart does that. Um, but it's I don't really know. easy do to think, fix Dave? in animation wise in for, for you patches. We could just put a little fart sound in there. That's true. Maybe that's all it is. Maybe there was a, like a, <laughs> and someone was like, we need to take that out. Yeah. This We're asking is, uh... for more Jar Jar. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not asking for it. I just expected it to happen. Uh, there was fart. already the fart rationalizing you know, his last episode. It's like, you can't go, Milo, because your farts are unpredictable. And everyone treated it seriously instead yeah. of being like, why are you bringing the, the city is under attack? Anyway, I, I, like, that I like that earlier. Milo became Kevin McAllister. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who is the oh, saw yeah, killer, someone... by the way? Someone pointed out that uh, someone pointed out that Milo like b- broke and entered into an establishment like just right in front of Lynn. Yeah, he's like, "Yep, we're looting." Well, it's it's also funny that board. Lynn Lynn's the one that goes to get Hiroshi too. Like, right. I feel like we're seeing she's just kind of growing. She had in the terms keys. Of, 
yeah, she has the keys, but she also what she accepts in the way she handles dispenses justice. I feel like we've seen her change quite a bit too. Justice since first season. bending, yeah, <laughs> heart bending. Yeah, well, she smiles now, which is actually quite yeah. lovely. Yeah. When her and and Sue are inside the the machine, um, like they have a they have glances to each other, like yeah, mm-hmm. we're doing it, we're we're fighting together, mm-hmm. uh, and that that scene also felt very Star Wars like. Oh yeah, and then so they send two really good Earthbenders after them. So the fight in the arm is also amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. And we get to see all of Lynn's gadgets on her armor. Oh, oh she gets so, blade so fighting fun. in this. Blade, <laughs> blade fighting, with the the whipping around, the yeah. seat belting. And then, like, the moment where they're like, we could do a lot of damage in here. And I'm like, commit to the line, Anhesh. But otherwise, <laughs> yes, amazing. Uh, there, there's just so much. Devendra, you kind of touched on this. Um, I, don't, I don't think Korra has ever really broken its rules before. Right. There's nothing that comes right. to mind where it's like, we're just going for the OMG moment with this. It's always, it always fits. And this battle especially just pushes against those rules. Everyone's going to get their biggest moment or their craziest power now, uh, mm-hmm. but it still plays uh, and, and logic still holds. Like, I love that people were complaining last week about why don't they just metal bend this right. robot and take it down? That well, was me. Because it was, was made planning. of platinum. It was such a comic book guy line <laughs> to throw in for Lynn. Lynn's like, you made a platinum. Uh, that was what do we do now? Perfect impression. Even the joints are made of platinum. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's so silly, but I love that stuff. It's this episode. The show is super geeky. Yeah, that's what I love, and it owns that too. Like mm-hmm. it will, it, all the logic holds, and they will get into it with us because they know we'll take to the internet and complain about it on podcasts, and that's yeah. What I think. <laughs> I also there, there's so much Star Wars in this in the first yes. episode in Day of the Colossus, right? Because they try to tie up his legs and try yeah. to bowl him over, and uh, unfortunately, I guess the metal just wasn't strong enough for the legs. But it's funny, like okay, you have a walking giant thing. Let's just try to trip it. What Let's were those goes on. things that they were using? They were like that were on metal. giant spools. Yeah, just yeah, metal spools, metal, metal cable sp- spools, metal spools. Sure. Yeah. Sure, well, sure. All, Republic the, City. all the police in Republic City have the right, metal right. cables that come off of them. That's true. Right? So I would love to see more of the metal cops, for sure. But mm. we, I guess they were doing some of that. They were getting people out of the city. Yeah. They were busy. And I do. I love how the uh, just they knew they couldn't stop the Colossus. So just the ways they escalated, uh, slowing it down. Like the point where they were just bending a building. Yes. Like, a, <laughs> like the whole. The I love that scene where before we see the building falling down, we see Bolin just doing his movements, and the camera kind of pans back a little. And it's probably the coolest thing Bolin has ever done. Then we see them all kind of doing the movements in unison to take down a building. Yeah, to push it. Yeah, yeah, Bolin cut like cuts it in half. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, yeah the, 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 the machine, super deadly. So many <laughs> things exploding. I, I'm glad they didn't over-redeem Bolin. Like, the, the Mako <laughs> m- moment, uh, I think that's the right brother to do it. Yeah. I think they didn't overdo right. his lava right. bending. I think he and Varric had, like, their awesome EMP Yeah, the EMP fight. moment. Oh, my God, so, I can't believe that, that happened. Great. There was time yeah. for that. Like, there were so, <laughs> so many mistakes in this episode, too. Like, that's that really heightens the drama for me when... Okay, this this paint idea doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. heroes just always have the right answers. Well, it in, in works a lot for a bit, right? I think it they realize. Her. Like that's I think, what they're doing. Yeah, the the paint stalls him so they could do the stuff. But then the she lights. has window washers. You yeah, know? she has. Yeah. It really is Home Alone. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 they just set up all these little traps for her around mm-hmm. the city. Yeah, they so step in hot lava. Yeah, the iron. <laughs> Maybe the iron will work. 
Well, it's like after the EMP, it's a ticking clock before Kuvir gets to right. the building and destroys their mech suits and the EMP and everything. So oh that's another action element that sort of rallies them for the second attack, even though it's basically pointless. Dave, I thought of you during the EMP scene, because when the e- EMP goes off, the funniest piece of animation the show has yes. ever delivered occurs, where all the mech suits fall yeah. down and like what happened to the process like was this a late in the game shot because this looks bad but it's so silly like it's really this was all cg bad. yeah yeah i mean i think it's 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 funny because like where you st- where where i would start with something like that is you just turn the gravity setting up and like your animation program and see how it falls <laughs> so they probably did that once they're like oh yeah that's pretty good uh control copy control b <laughs> And they're like, that's how it happened. And like, technically, that is how it happened. But that doesn't mean that the mech suits, the mech suits that aren't on rollers, uh, I think, ultimately, were a mistake. But I see that they had to build up to this greater Colossus idea. So I I get it. But it's, it's a weird thing to have in this world. And they don't always animate that well. Even like, uh, the the hummingbird wings on the hummingbird max which shouldn't work you'd think uh like design wise look really good when they're flying around republic city this, this is where I we have love to ha- the hummingbird suits <laughs> whoa really yeah. we, i was about to point to davidra because davidra not his favorite thing i, I mean I, I love the look of them they're certainly well designed but like you know if you if you the thing about hummingbirds is that they need to you know eat a lot they need a lot of sugar to keep their bodies moving like their hearts are moving a thousand times a second or something like some ridiculous thing it's a very inefficient animal right so that's probably not the uh the best thing to model for your flying machine but well you know, yeah it, what we don't know what the hummingbirds crossed with in this this world <laughs> they're you know. like well, well it's like a, a, a humming <laughs> no Sorry. let's not let's not bring katniss into this at all but yeah no i i I, I it's it's one of those weird things where I should have a problem with the design from a technical standpoint because like if if that was a if that was a logical way to get things off the ground we'd see it in the real world right right but I yeah I sort of, I sort of see what you're saying you but, didn't think there was enough foundation is that what you're saying I mean they're designed because it has to be something that flies that has two people in it because we're teaming up against this thing and then i think they just made it look like boomju because it's that's what really i go to, why looking? call it a hummingbird just say it's <laughs> robo boomju yeah so it's weird that they named it but i'm sure that's like just like or something why not call it the mosquito mosquito uh right. Rex because that's the parallel they went with for the rest oh my of the God. episode hiroshi's yeah. speech i mean i people who have been listening know uh, that this episode these two episodes were fantastic but that speech where he talks about like the virus infecting everything hiroshi said in this episode kind of fell a little flat for me because he uh-huh. just i mean he's not he's not really set up enough I, his emotional moments really satisfy me but like him coming out and being like we have to infect it with um, a virus and it will spread and i'm like what are you talking about him plasma, plasma lasers and we're going to uh, shut up just do it Coming out immediately knowing what the design of the hummingbird mech suit like, unless mm-hmm. uh, Sami was bringing him her designs when she's visiting him in prison and playing Paishu. I don't like. Well, I don't he's know the how he the, knew. He's, he's the father of the mech. Yeah, he's yes. he created the mech in this world. But he like so. already like automatically knew what to do. 
Right. I don't know. Yeah, he yeah. attached a blowtorch to the arm <laughs> on a thing that his daughter made. Yeah, I, that was fine with me. Yeah, I mean his metaphors were horrible, but the dude's been in prison. <laughs> Break through the yeah. skin, attack the vital organs. <laughs> it's also really weird to see Hiroshi back because I just saw the Miyazaki documentary, yeah, and yeah, dude yeah. is dude is Miyazaki exactly. So. Yeah. yeah, he's like a flying machine that's gonna save the day in this war. <laughs> it takes balls to kill off your idol. Smack him. Seriously. The wind will rise. Um no, what I but then like I like that it was undercut by Varric being like, I know what I do when a mosquito tries to bite me. Like, God, I love Varric so much. <laughs> Rescues the clunky uh exposition yeah, that yeah. gets us there. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean that is Varric's purpose, right? To to kind of sweep these foundational moments under the rug and, and yeah. make us laugh. And I was surprised that his proposal thing knocked me over the way it did because it kind of comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I want to talk sweet. about that in the, the context. Story. Okay, let me uh, let me just say I Bring don't it. I don't want to get us too far into the final part, but like <laughs> Okay. But let's just say that like if you're going to go for like a surprising romantic moment that kind of comes out of nowhere, et cetera, et cetera, like Farrick and, and Julie love them. I, I get swept up in it. I'm glad it all ended with a big splashy wedding. But I mean, they earned a kiss, maybe, because last <laughs> episode he was treating her like garbage town. Yeah. You know, so yeah. the next beat is not a ring and then a wedding so it is if you for want many to vote, couples in america i'm right. gonna let you know is well it? it's a it's a war proposal they don't know yeah, if they're gonna survive true. so that's it's like true. yeah last ditch yeah that's true but like i don't know if, if, <laughs> if the complaints from some corners is that there was a surprise romance that they never saw coming i mean we knew, we saw Varric and julie coming because julie cares but i mean Varric mm-hmm. to propose anyway wartime proposal well uh, he got yeah. cut off in the middle of his story about his horse thing that he <laughs> uh, undervalued oh my god horse. that was supposed to be the kiss moment yeah julie's then... face though because she was like <laughs> oh a horse story okay <laughs> I, but that's that. That's their. They're gonna be their wedding dynamic. It's gonna be great. They're gonna have like a big apartment, and Zui's gonna just be constantly apologizing to all their dignitary guests because Varric's hanging upside down in his room and yelling things at her. It's adorable. <laughs> it's functional. Uh, functional. It seems uh, a little. <laughs> well, it's funny because earlier, yeah. earlier this season, we were like. Julie, get out of this relationship. This is toxic. Yeah. This is bad. And now it ends with them getting married. And him trying to work like pumice stones into his wedding vows. Oh. And it's what, very... was what was that what? ring? It's a jade yeah. ring. Why is it jade? Did pretty? I miss? I, I don't understand. Jade pretty. I don't know. Jade yeah, pr- jade, jade pretty. Jade pretty. Jade pretty. <laughs> I, I, I offended someone because I called it a kryptonite ring in my uh, in my <laughs> recap. You go straight to the superhero thing and not to the thing that exists in the real world. Yeah, <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, like, what, is she fighting Superman soon? Uh, and then someone got very offended because they're like, that is not a kryptonite ring, that is a jade ring. I'm like, well, I mean, I know. do you want me <laughs> to totally answer your question, Patches? What is my? I don't even know what my question is. What, what, do you, what is your response? Well, what other colored jewel have we ever seen in the Avatar universe? I don't know. Mm-hmm. None. If it's oh. going to be a jeweled ring, it's going to be green. Fair. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you. What? I don't know. <laughs> Jade Pretty. Jade Pretty. I don't think we've seen, like, you know, like, there's not, like, treasure. There's not a cave that I could think of that doesn't have green the queen, crystals. The queen. Yeah, yeah the queen was wearing green. Earth Queen wasn't wearing any, like, rubies or anything? Asami's worn jewelry, although I forget the colors. No. Yeah. Well. Okay. I'm gonna say I'm sticking with that though. 
Green, it's green jewels. They're plentiful. Jade, pretty. It's kind of it's kind of the cubic zirconium pretty. of uh, the Avatar verse, though. Like you can get it everywhere. It's not mm-hmm. really that precious. That's, well, so, that's you know, so varic. That's so yeah. varic. Can't even tell the difference between diamond and the cubic zirconium. <laughs> I made that mistake in sixth grade. <laughs> Mom said I should get her a cubic zirconium ring. Girlfriend would like that. Yeah, yeah. Did did you? I also bought jewelry on my mom's advice in like the fifth and sixth grade for my girlfriends. I was like, this seems like a big step, mom. Like I've been watching like Clarissa explains it all, and it seems like I just use a ladder and get in the window. And she's like, no, maybe jewelry. Yeah, can I just buy like a power power bead bracelet and call it a day? It's slap bracelets that say uh, um, "Patreon." And what? I'm glad that we had uh, Legend of Korra to teach us more about relationships because we. Sound like are, sorry folks. No, we're experts. We're about to weigh in as experts. Oh God. But let's we, not undercut ourselves. Before we, love. Before yes, we, get we there, know about love. We know about love. We we should love, jump love to pretty. Uh, we should jump to the parallel <laughs> moment in this episode with Wu. And uh I wanted uh, to touch on that because now Dave's gonna sing. No. Never mind. Yes, it turns out that Badger Moles respond to song. But this has no precedent in the series up to now. We did know they didn't like wolf bats, so I'm glad there's no wolf bats in the tunnels. But we also know that badger moles are the only spirit animal not significantly wiped out by the Fire Nation in the Hundred Year War. Oh, that was oh my God. that was beautiful. That was wonderful. You're welcome. They uh, have we seen? Someone's gonna yell at me for this. Have we seen badger moles bend before? I, yes, they taught yeah. Toph. Yes, yes. We yes. Gotcha. Okay. I'm the one that's going to yell at you. Okay, yeah. good. Jesus I'd rather patches. you. I'd rather you do it. I, I couldn't remember, um, but it's just so cool. Like, it's cool to see these giant <laughs> giant badger moles who look so stupid <laughs> bending their way through the caves. I just thought it was wonderful. And I thought everybody was going to ride them, like, up a style or something, but no, no. We're just going to follow them. Um, yeah. I, I adored this moment where they're getting all these people out or they're mm-hmm. waiting for the trains to come, especially because we got a Pema moment. Yeah. And Maria Bamford rules and she sings old airbender songs. And I thought that was wonderful. I just want a whole great. record of Maria Bamford singing airbender songs. I agree. <laughs> oh, so wonderful. And yeah. Prince Wu redeemed, kind of. Totally Actually, redeemed. Yeah, w- yeah. That was this episode where they were all trying to get on the bench at the same time, right? Day of the class. Yes. Yes. Yeah. One, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just really love that moment. The conductor's like, that's fine. I'm just the conductor. I'll get off the bench. It's great. And then the other guy, the guy who's like trying to whip up, uh, I don't know, fear in the group. And then yeah. the guy in the crowd who's just like freaking out over I think everything. that was Mako's cousin. Mako yeah? Bolin's cousin. Oh, yes. Oh, nice. Easily forgettable from uh-huh. three. Well, they did a callback because Mako later to where was like, my cousin told me you did well in the train station. <laughs> right. Yes, like they needed yes. that witness there so that Mako could know that Wu did well. I love that they committed to the terrible Wu singing and uh, yeah, saved the day. That's his career now. That's what gave yeah. us democracy is Wu realizing he had singing know, potential. Is Wu voiced by someone we know? No, he because is... it's such a Paul Shear knockoff. Like it's such a Paul Shear persona. <laughs> Wait, what? In the best way. Tell me more about this. Why is this a Paul Shear persona? Like if you watch the League, like that's that's Paul Shear's <laughs> character on the League is yeah. Prince Wu, one hundred percent. My my Mixed girlfriend the... thinks it's me yeah. at home. That's apparently I act a lot like Prince Wu in real life. Oh no! <laughs> I do sing songs like that, and I won't do it here. 
You're not entitled to your royalty. Or Why am I subject to public embarrassment? If you don't respect the brooch, you don't respect me. That is awesome. <laughs> You're no better than a roach. It, it reminded me of Adventure Time a little bit. This might be right, Tora's yeah, yeah. most Adventure Time moment. Nestled within an, an episode that's just huge mech fights. Yeah, devastation happening in the background. There's still room for the um, best songs in Secret Tunnel. I love you, Legend of Korra. Not the best okay. songs in Secret Tunnel, but I love what? you, Legend of Korra. I think it's time to talk about the most emotional moment of the episode, which is the fact that Sue obviously dressed Lynn for the wedding. Uh, like <laughs> Obviously, she did her hair, and she got her something nice to wear, and Lynn looked amazing. Wait a second. You just but- jumped over the spirit... <laughs> Uh, the, the the spirit oh. vines and the like the actual oh, okay. final conclusion Wait, of the let's talk about what everybody was wearing at the wedding. Here we go. <laughs> they all look good. Actually, I really like the costumes. Iki got to dance with the uh, Skrillex Bayfarm. Right. Whoa, yeah. really? Yeah. Moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my cute. god, that's a romance is brewing and everywhere. What? Tana is that his name? Playing playing the Tano. Trum- yeah. Tano. Well, okay. Yeah. Apparently he's a he's in a trombone. He's in a jazz. Group. It was great. Okay, let's talk. Yeah, about he this he showed he showed up in the uh, Kabir's Gambit too. Tano made a sudden comeback. Ta- <laughs> we saw more Tano than Rohan. Wait, 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 wait! Before we get off, what everyone was wearing at the wedding, we need to talk about what Pabu was okay. wearing at the wedding. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. We should actually wait. Pabu was in this episode. Pabu I lives see him. Oh. in a tuxedo. <laughs> Joking. Pabu lives in a tuxedo. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, I'm done. We didn't get enough of the animals. In, in this finale. Naga got totally shafted this whole season. Like, yeah, so Naga was Tumblr. laying next to Korra in yeah, the final beats, so that was cute. But Someone on Tumblr, or maybe it was in our comment section, posted an image where like uh, Korra is talking to you-know-who at the very end of the episode, and um, and the poor polar bear dog is just sitting there being like, no, it's fine, ignore me, I've just been your girlfriend your entire life. Right. <laughs> I've been in the spirit world. Years. Yeah. Didn't write me any letters. I'll be right here. Bark. Naga's <laughs> <laughs> uh, going back to the movers. She's did, gonna, did, she's did, you, did you guys have pets in like uh, high school? Yeah, I had cats. Yeah. Yeah, so it reminds me, this series and the, the, the pet arc sort of reminds Aww. me of like when you go off to college and your pets stay with your parents. And you're like, oh, you come home every once in a while. You're like, oh, who's my puppy? But like you're not, it's not really your puppy anymore. And they know the pets. The, yeah, Pabu and Naga live with the Air family now. <laughs> Sad. Uh, well, I did want to before we get into the the final moments of this uh, these episodes. I did want to talk about, and we touched on about touched on a little bit. Kuvira and Korra kind of having this this face off in the the Spirit mm-hmm. Wilds. Um, first off, awesome that you know we see a shot of the laser get flung into the spirit wilds did not see it coming back to that i really of thought course it's coming back Come but, on. but i really thought it would be another like battle of zaofu kind of confrontation a kind of <laughs> mano a mano fight again right. um, yeah. and where where cora conquers her and these episodes were just so tight it felt like they couldn't waste anything so if we saw the giant gun go somewhere giant True. guns coming back yeah but it was also distracting because i was like no lynn and sue <laughs> yeah so yeah. it was it was a nice nice parallel there and i it definitely was at the point where I was not expecting this to be a series that ends with a giant gun firing my protagonist, but <laughs> hey, I liked it. That felt very it. Princess Mononoke to me. That was yes. the, the Mononoke yes. moment where she loses control of the spirit. The, the machine yeah. in, the, in the nature. Yeah, something about that struck me. And uh, I don't really know what, like, do the spirits 
power the gun, like because it's surrounded by spirit wilds, it automatically triggers it and. I think the room. mechanism just broke. Right. I think that's that's what we saw happen. She was trying to switch it off and she couldn't. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's that's like amp- amplified somehow because we've seen we've seen like spirit uh, vines react to other spirit energy <laughs> previously. So I think it was just like super overload. I was and also, uh, yeah, the gun before was on the arm of the Colossus, which probably stabilized it a little. So this is like having just a rail gun or a very powerful gun, kind of shooting on its own, going everywhere wildly. So, kind of made sense yeah. to me. The arm and then of had the Colossus. That is and my... then had a nuclear explosion. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, it made a spirit portal, but, like, there's no denying that was, like, somebody got the des- the job yeah. to design an explosion that instantly reminded you of a mushroom cloud, but was not mushroom-shaped. Well, it's the Akira explosion from the beginning of the movie. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I do this, uh, in college at one point, I did this whole, uh, I did a video essay on, like, Japan's fascination with the mushroom mushroom cloud and how, like, pop culture keeps reflecting that. Um, so Akira was a big one. Um, sure. Paranoia Agent, I think. One of that anime, I think that was the name of it. Um, but it's it's everywhere if you look hard enough in Japanese culture. So it's really interesting to see it here. And also, once we see the whole spirit door kind of open up, uh, the camera kind of pants back, and we see at one point we see the whole kind of landscape. I think when Cora is talking about like uh, they're not going to rebuild downtown, and that is totally downtown Manhattan. Yeah, with the, that with it the light really on. Yeah. really looks yes. like those nine yes. eleven lights yeah. that go up. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Well, there's that, and there's also when in Day of the Colossus, when Korra is trying to air push over the Colossus, she's standing on the Flatiron building. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way that's another building. Huh. Yeah. Uh, like, it's a triangle shape because it needs to be, but, like, they allowed the design to be the Flatiron building. It's really, I was like, oh, hey, I know that. So many good, so many good frames. That's where Cora. J. Jonah Jameson is. <laughs> so much good cityscapes. So many good cityscapes in this. Episode. I mean, I th- yeah, I think it really way back at the beginning of this podcast we were talking about scale, but like being able to spend the budget to set it in the city instead of in the bay, mm-hmm. and you know allow all these details where like the scale was so good from right. like you plaster Milo to the front of it. And you think it's, you know, it's a funny moment, but it also comes, like, right before some large-scale stuff. So it reminds you that, like, that's the size of a person mm-hmm. plastered against the window of this giant colossus. And when the building falls on it, you can see how many floors there are because all the windows are there. I it's sure so... hope everyone was evacuated pro- properly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they, yeah. They keep talking about it, but there's a lot of CD destruction in, in these two episodes. Yeah, the laser Very slices off the tops of yeah. uh, buildings. Every oh, yeah. That was another. That was amazing. And a great shot, too, because like it's, it's a core of ducks, I think, and we see it happening in the background. Uh, yeah, this is why we had a, uh, a filler episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. We the I kept thinking about yeah. that. Yeah. I think yeah. we can all forgive Thank God for now. the sacrifices. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. reminds me, that shot in particular, DaVinci, reminds me of like a Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah, yeah. The joy that we get of seeing something shot in a real place, uh, on location, action, and somehow, despite it being animated, I have the same kind of feeling seeing these buildings, seeing this action take place in a dense city. And then that explosion in the background felt very Dark night mm-hmm. to me. So good. So much good, <laughs> so much goodness. Can we? We we were talking about the Cora Kuvira fight. Yeah. I just love everything about that fight because Cora just busts in, and I guess she knew where the other dudes were, but she busts in and like immediately takes out the useless no name like guards, and then gets into the Kuvira fight. And there's just so much good stuff there 
But in particular, there's that one shot where the camera kind of slows down and we see Korra doing something. We see Kuvira do- doing something. We kind of snap back and super widescreen. They both get pushed back. Uh, probably one of my favorite action beats of the entire series. Yeah, I think I, I'm going to have to rewatch it now and mm-hmm. make sure I'm not being completely dishonest about how I'm portraying it. But I'm pretty sure the way this action scene is shot is it's not like the normal one where we see a attack and then counter. We right. stay on the characters as they're attacking. And the assumption is that, you know, these the two people are the best. So like, obviously Korra is blocking that somehow, mm-hmm. but the only time they're in like a, like long shot, it's not about back and forth. It's about putting them in a space together. Mm-hmm. And then when they push in for individual attacks, like when, uh, Kuvira is shooting daggers through the space metal or when <laughs> I love this show so much just hearing you say that yeah. or when Korra is about to do like a air punch we'll stay on them and spend a lot more time on their face and on their form mm-hmm. than we would in something like you know the Varric Bolin fight was really cool because it was sort of like these counter back and forths and you see these little mini battles in the battlefield mm-hmm. when it's just one on one it's just focus on the players and just assume that everyone's at the top of their game. And so you really got to see some cool attacks just yeah. nonstop. Or some simple ones. Like my one of my favorite moments in the whole two episodes was Bolin just pounding a guy. <laughs> Body sl- <laughs> like he's been using this yeah. lava blade half the half the time for Which this one of the uh, one of Zaheer's dudes did, right? Right. That makes yeah. sense. I I didn't hadn't I didn't know if we had seen it before, but it was a really cool effect. But then it just concludes with bullet pounding, like just body check. <laughs> it was great, super tackle. Uh, well, the the Cora Kavira fight reminded me the way you're talking about it, Dave. It's uh, it's like something from the raid, right? It's like that mm-hmm. very last yeah. scene in the second raid movie where the two guys just kind of like confront each other, and it's insane, and it's bloody, and it's not shot like a typical fight scene. Yeah, it feels impressive, as if mm-hmm. these people actually exist and possess moves, and <laughs> this demonstration of skill feels like a crescendo moment. It's it's mm-hmm. impressive. And uh, somehow, we've seen so much action in this series, and it doesn't seem to have exhausted itself. Like, I really never felt like Legend of Korra was repeating right. action beat moments. And maybe that has to do with genre, because book one felt such like a noir, and book two involved fighting dark spirits mm-hmm. um and three had that team aspect and here it was just like basically facing your foil but uh, it's also it's also options because it's not just like fist to fist you know like we've talked before it's this earth move counters this fire move counters this air move mm-hmm. counters this water move mm-hmm. you know it's like the option that i mean they were endlessly creative with it i think um i mean you might be right about tone informing that but i think just the world that they created in the first place in Avatar um, gave them so much fun, uh, such a fun playground for their fight right. sequences. Speaking mm-hmm. to that, I, I feel like I hadn't seen a lot of water bending this book, uh, and I was really <laughs> happy to see Korra run to the river and and freeze the Titan. There we go. In, in Let's place. make water useful for once. Yeah, yeah, it's so it was so awesome. Although so, I wonder why she ran there, because it took her a little while to run. It's like, uh, I thought you were air flying, flying. or something. Like, <laughs> I th- we're just wasting time. Yeah, but not yes. a big Avatar state moment in, yeah. uh, in this. Well, Wait, so, so book two, <laughs> book two with, with um, Tonrock mm-hmm. and Unalak and stuff like that, that was kind of the waterbending yeah. book, right? Yeah, and yeah. then book three is the airbending book, and then book four is the earthbending book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, sorry Fire Nation fans, right? Well, we yeah. had enough of that in the first series. In the first right? series, yeah. So that's all that. <laughs> um, 
what uh, the other thing that really that I love about the action of the series is the way they use the environments, right? Because you have the rules for how the bending works. You have good choreography, but I think a lot of the fun is how what they do with the environments they're in, and that's you know that's how live action Hollywood directors or live action action directors in general that's how they kind of conceive of their films uh John Woo like he before he does a shootout he'll like walk the scene and kind of script it based on what he sees around him so you look at something like uh, a better tomorrow which is one of my favorite films of his um you know there's a scene the first scene where Chow and Fat pulls out two pistols and just like goes crazy the first Chow and Fat dual pistol scene and that came about because it was just a really interesting way to conceive of that scene. So, yeah, good stuff yeah. in Cora. And then, I think oh, Robert oh. Rodriguez does a similar thing. Oh, I think Robert Rodriguez does a similar thing on video camera. Well, he'll, oh, yeah. And he'll do a whole action sequence, just him in the space, and then actually cut it together so he knows what he's shooting for. I do but think like, they actually choreograph these oh, yeah. scenes, yeah. right? They have people come in and fight That's in so person cool. and tape it. That yeah, well, so cool. it, definitely all the bending forms are based on... Yeah, work by by real people. But then, yeah, that plus, you got to assume that you have all these people sitting around doing storyboards and just drawing stuff. And, you know, like, I don't know about you guys, but when I doodle crazy action things, it's always, like, the most extreme crazy action thing I can think of. (laughs) So they probably have, like, reams and reams of ideas coming, like, around. They're like, this would be really cool. And then they, like, Mm -hmm. take it to a guy who's like, that goes with this form. Super sweet. <laughs> sweet. Um, I'm so sad there's not any more of this show. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I'm just glad that Mako stepped up from being boring Mako to electricity shooting Mako again. It's like, oh, yeah, I can shoot electricity. Let's make that useful. People have been complaining about him not using enough of his electricity bending throughout this series. And I'm like, this is why you don't want him to do it. Because that moment is so much more satisfying because we haven't seen him do it all the time. Like, there's no point... And it's super dangerous. <laughs> well, is is the act of uh, electricity yes. bending? If you it remember, yeah. when Iroh trained Zuko, you're basically just funneling it through you. So okay. even when Mako's shocking the heart, you could see he has the other arm out and he's discharging it. Yeah, yeah. That oh. makes his job as a, as working the factory in book one like so much more tragic. Yeah. yeah. So basically, yeah. if you lose focus, it like it's like being electrocuted in like wow. an electric chair. It's it just fries on- you blue collar America right there. That's <laughs> so, really sad. Well, Let's see that thing piece, yeah. Here's my question. So I asked, before I saw the final two episodes, I did ask Patches if there were any major deaths. And he said, someone dies, but no one major dies. Ooh, I'm sorry <laughs> about that. I realized no, I that could you. take I away. Asked you. Uh, I asked you. You want to prepare like, yourself, yeah. Well, I was, it was for something else I was writing. I just wanted mm. to know. I was writing about all the major deaths on TV this year, and I was like, what if someone major dies on Korra? And I like have already published this list, and it's missing. Anyway, um, so point being, no offense to Saito, but like the, the fact that no one major died, does that, <laughs> are, we, are we disappointed? Did Ma- would it have been better if Mako had died here? Like, I, could, I don't think so. I wouldn't be able to like live with myself if Mako had died. He's, yeah. He was trying boy. to, do, like, he was obviously like ready to sacrifice himself for the mm-hmm. cause here. And yet I um, felt like he could. It, yeah. I guess that's kind of an amazing feeling to to still after 3 seasons of really no one dying and our whole tens and dies campaign <laughs> last <laughs> book uh going out the window, you know, that it wasn't going to happen. I didn't really think anyone could die going into this finale. Right. And yet I was on the edge of my seat watching Mako 
because they made such a big deal about like, okay, this thing is going to explode when you do this. There, I didn't mm-hmm. think that it was possible for him to live, and there's, he did. And there's I wasn't, a lot I didn't of find that dissatisfying, but yeah, there's a lot of convenient uh, characters not dying in this episode, right? Because uh, right, uh, Mako and Bolin are there when the core blows up. Uh, Korra and uh, Kavira are fine when they fly off in the head. Lin and Suyin are okay. Just kind of flying off the arm, maybe they have whiplash or something. But it seems like there are <laughs> a lot of moments. Sorry, what? Yeah, yeah. yeah, there are a lot of moments where okay, you probably should have been killed or very hurt. <laughs> I still think, um, like last season, that one shot where the episode panned away and Tenzin was like attacked by, I think it was a here, but that that I feel like that was the moment where. If they had done it, that would have propelled a lot of, I think, Korra's depression yeah. this season would have felt a little more even impactful. Um, yeah. The fact yeah, it that Tenzin... Yeah. It would have been part of this, the greater story there, which would have mm-hmm. felt good. Whereas here, if somebody would have died, we the rest of the episode would have had to been about mourning Mako and not right, the wedding. Right. So you wouldn't have joy. But That's it, true. I feel like they should have bit the bullet and done it because Tenzin really didn't do anything at all this season, too. Um, and even in the final fight, he was there. He was active. But what he did could have been done by anybody else. That's I agree. True. I think I really think they should have. No offense to Tenzin because mm-hmm. I love him. But, he, yeah, he didn't contribute anything substantive, substantive in this season. And if they had killed him, it really would have made the series land. Mm-hmm. Solidly. Oh, he's dead in our hearts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I wouldn't have wanted to see Mako go. And I'm glad they mm-hmm. had a bro hug pull him oh. out of that situation moment. Uh, well, I don't understand why Bolin wasn't like, cool, I'll be right here ready to help you right, get out. Right. He's like, I'm oh, running. okay. Well, he, he, save, he was saving the two other dudes. The two yeah. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. Well, cool. I think nice what story. we ended up with was uh, uh, the the best possibility, which is what Patches is talking about, was pretty sure he's not going to die, but feel like he could die. <laughs> like this series has occasionally done that and definitely set up that there's life or death stakes and it's the end. So the other I, thing I don't is know. Like, I feel the way like you have to like, uh, yeah. kill people on this show ends up being kind of ridiculous. So, like, Sato I mean, and- gets squashed by a metal <laughs> hand. That is one of the silliest things. I I, I kind of yelped when I saw it because it, it's sad. I mean, and the moment before that where he ejects Asami is, is really emotional. It was for me. Um, but then this giant metal hand comes down and just squashes him like a bug. And it's so is, silly that I kind of laughed, too. Would his epitaph be swat to death or swatted to death? Oh, I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> get, get me my AP style book. Smush. Yes, please. Smush. Epitaph smush. Uh, yeah. I think just splat on his tombstone. Exclamation point. <laughs> Founder of future industries. <laughs> splat. Splat. Uh, well, may- may- maybe we need to talk about the ending of mm-hmm. this episode now. We do. Um, Have we gotten through everything else? I, I feel Any like we did. There's, there's just so much stuff in this episode. I, well, I, everything I can't wait to post Korra Kuvira fight, we definitely gotta dive into, yeah. Yeah, so obviously she goes to the wedding. Uh, before we get to the end, and mm-hmm. I'm glad Mako lived because I was really moved by his comments to her at the wedding. Um, and his outfit, which and is his Mako's best outfit. <laughs> all of the costumes at that scene were really uh, incredible. Congrats to all the design people who whipped up those. They, they look beautiful. I thought I thought Cora looked beautiful in her mm-hmm. uh, 
her outfit. And then Mako being emotional and being like, I'll, I'll stand by you in any battle, whatever his quote is there. Um, yeah. That, he has like a, me. a tie that is his scarf. Oh, it's so it's such a good outfit. <laughs> well, before we do like the Halloween, big, Halloween. <laughs> before we do the beginning talk through, I do feel like the final confrontation between Cor and Kavira, that in was important. World. And that was well, even before that too, because oh. I, it was interesting how Cora tried. She was like, Okay, okay, you're done, right? Okay, we're done with this fight. And even then, Kavira is still so she's still so like she's just not centered she just can't like really give up she has mm. to keep going all the way to the end and the fact that it's Cora who ends up saving her I think is very important it's very I'm not sure if season one Cora would have done something like this right and the fact that at the end um, the imagery in the spirit world is so interesting because we see the split Cora and then one of the split Koras turns into Kuvira which really hammers home the message of what Kor- right. Kuvira was trying to do and in the end the way they kind of settle things is with a conversation which I find to be yeah, fascinating it's a very Jean Valjean Javert mm-hmm. moment except Kuvira does not jump off a bridge <laughs> which I guess is good yes um, I guess good. <laughs> now that moment <laughs> where no where Cora saves Kuvira and then Kuvira just beans her in the head with a bit of debris <laughs> was that's so Kuvira okay but yeah <laughs> that's so Kuvira I need that in the I'd that's so that Raven show. logo <laughs> yeah um, exactly Oh, wait, Davidra, you need to talk about the music here. You loved the music and the sound design. I thought the stuff in the yeah. Spirit Wilds and then going into the Spirit World for that final bit, uh, that, like, the music was so propulsive and the sound design working mm-hmm. alongside it. I'll never get enough of the, the beam sound, um, which I'm <laughs> they now... really, yeah. I'm we have several large about beam Dave. explosions. I'm thinking about Dave having a, a spirit uh, brain in his belly, <laughs> and when he goes to the bathroom, it probably makes that sound. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, that's uh, gross. Just to make a, just to make a Milo it. joke there. We should they should get a hold of Zuckerman and get get yes. get a specialized ringtone for you. <laughs> Ooh, let's make that idea. That'll be the worst ringtone ever. <laughs> oh, I have Is a your call. phone gonna explode? I don't know. But <laughs> I did. I love the uh, I love the music in particular for these two episodes because it did feel like uh, Jeremy just brought his the everything he was working with uh, in the series. It just kind of came to head, and I love like just when things were getting really crazy for the Corin Kavira fight. It was basically a full on Philip Glass. Like there is a lot of Koyaanisqatsi hmm. in there. Um, just like a lot of like repeated harsh tones. And honestly, I like Philip Glass, but I think his repetition can be tiresome. But here it's like perfect because this is essentially what we're doing. We're hammering home all these themes. This is a big final battle. Um, just uh, really great stuff. I hope we get some sort of uh, music release from this series. We'll see. It's, 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 mm-hmm. it's, it could be difficult. But now that the show's over, then again, we've never seen Avatar The Last Airbender soundtrack. So Yeah, yeah. Although though, apparently in past conversations we've had with Jeremy that mm-hmm. uh, the, the masters for Avatar The Last Airbender are not up to snuff. He, I don't think he'd want to put them out. Mm. But this is a different situation. Hopefully yeah, we get yeah. this because, yeah, I, I, what I love about it is that we never get Eastern sounding scores out of Hollywood, right? All of our action movies are so Zimmerized, Hans Zimmerized, <laughs> and they all sound exactly the same. They're just that repetitive well, and moment. Well, and on the sort of parallel to that post inception i haven't heard a blomp that i think actually worked until cora <laughs> yeah why why doesn't this just feel like rehashing that is there something more textured good, about it good work but good people <laughs> yeah. fair fair i think that's it like they're not I, I don't know. A lot of movie composers, I do feel like, think they have to do what everyone else is doing in a way. You kind of have to compete. Um, and Or sometimes know. they're just told. They're like given a scratch track yeah, by a yeah. director and they're like, this is what it's going to be. And this we've seen, you know, 
these guys grow over two series and just really know the tone of the thing they're going for. Well, that's that's it's a testament to the autonomy that they had making this show. I mean, we give Nickelodeon a lot of crap sometimes, but um, they, sometimes okay, we often do. <laughs> okay, always. Uh, but these guys really made it in a vacuum, it seems, and and pushed themselves. You know, hearing the narrative of losing an episode and having to sacrifice and do the clip show. I mean, that's what they had to do to make this finale everything that it was, and. Um, they're always pushing themselves, you know, in interviews we've done with Jeremy, he talks about trying to find these amazing musicians all around Los Angeles and like going above and beyond the call of duty for what he had to deliver. And he just wanted to be, he wanted it to be amazing. And it was, Uh, it's so funny to see work put into television. When a lot of television, <laughs> and Dave is scoffing because he puts work into television, right, Dave? That's correct. Uh, there's a lot of work put into television, whether or not it all should be put into television. Well, there's a lot of work, but it's not necessarily driven by creativity. I mean, you have something very rare here, which is you have a core creative group that was the, given the freedom to make something, and that something became successful enough that that core group was allowed to continue making its own rules. Hmm. And that's the best outcome for all television, because it's this rolling thing where you're allowed to adapt to your audience, and you're allowed to adapt to what you learn about the characters and about the production process, which is what it has over movies. And But also narrative-wise, I mean, I don't think we would have gotten the conclusion that we did on a show that felt like it lived under the thumb of Nickelodeon. Oh. I don't, I mean, I don't def- think Kung Fu Panda, uh, the television show, is going to end on the same <laughs> note as uh, Legend of Korra. Just a guess. Just a guess. Um, but yeah, it just feels autonomous in every, in every moment. It's such an auteur-driven show in a way. So nice. We could probably <laughs> talk about this for forever, but maybe maybe Confront if we speculate on a future episode about future projects, we'll have mm. we'll we'll know what the path is and maybe be able to speculate what the path forward is. Okay, but gotta, not now. We got we got to wrap things up because uh, Devendra is a. Uh... He's got a he's got a spirit world got, vacation yeah, with his best his uh, best friend, <laughs> uh, his platonic hetero friend. <laughs> yes, I, I think we mentioned most of what happens in this in this wedding one one way or another. Costumes, um, but <laughs> let's talk about this final beat. First, Cora talks to Tenzin. She has a very sweet conversation with Tenzin that kind of wraps up everything that they've been talking about all season mm-hmm. and sets up uh, the opening for like some more stuff more comics maybe an animated movie eventually but she, she has a lot more to learn what what, yeah. what line clued you into that what well that she mean? she talks to Tenzin it's like I've learned a lot but I still have so much more to learn something like right. that yeah it's, it was much better than her previous season endings where it's like, and then what am I going to do now? At least now she's psyched. And then especially coming after Tenzin saying like, you've accomplished more than any other avatar in such a brief period of time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, four books in two years. That's a lot. <laughs> and, and then, and then we have this moment with Asami um, that I think we all saw coming one way or another. Nothing felt. Oh, I don't know. Not to this mean. extent, though. No. So, yeah. I mean. I mean. Yeah. So go keep going. Well, what I was going to say is that uh, you're right. There's a there's a clear surprise here. I didn't think that their moments were going to be so tender and so sweet and uh, so intimate. Uh, this I did not expect the show to end with a conversation between these two, despite a lot of setup and a lot of telegraphing their relationship or their evolving Mm. relationship um this didn't come out of the blue narratively it came out of the blue 
I don't know, probably narratively is still the right word for that. Uh, but but well, yeah, so what did you guys think? Because there's, there's obviously a lot of dispute about people online. I mean, a lot of people are championing this moment. They're, they're really proud of the show for taking this leap. Um, is it there? Is it what what is happening in this moment? Here's, and yeah, Joe. Here's what I want to say about my take on people who have a different interpretation than I do. My interpretation, I think most of us agree that this is a romantic moment between Cora and Asami. Um, there are those who a didn't claim they didn't see this coming and B get offended by the idea that just because two women have a moment together, that means they have to be mm-hmm. bisexual or lesbians or something like that. It, like they can't be friends. Here's my like I've been chewing this over because the response has been pretty positive, but I have seen some disappointing responses. And I, I I really and some like straight up homophobic responses. But I don't think the main problem is homophobia no. in what I've seen. The main problem is heteronormativity. Like people who are conditioned mm-hmm. to see something a certain way are surprised by this. People who are open to other options who don't think that this is the norm and you have to just really, really hammer home this other thing or else I don't see it, that's because you're conditioned to view normal or whatever is as one way. And I would just encourage people who um, who make the default assumption about what relationships mean between different sexes to challenge that, to let this show challenge that. And if this had been Mako and Cora in the spirit stream, there would be no question for people. Okay, sure. They had like a romantic background, but if it had been, if that's how Varric and Julie had ended, if there had been any like uh, not same sex couple Mm -hmm. in that spirit stream, like staring longingly at each other, there would be no question. Do you think leaving it open to interpretation and that's in quotes from me, um, (laughs) that, uh, that that doesn't do this moment justice, that it's not going all the way in some way? Should they have sealed it with a kiss or something like that, so mm-hmm. that the way that, that Varric and Zuli do? Or mm-hmm. do we like that it's more of an implicit moment, that this is yeah. a relationship that's growing, um, that's not necessarily, it's not automatically romantic or I pre- sexualized? I, I sort of prefer the fact that it's a, it's an implication, but it's a very clear implication, right? It's not yeah. totally open-ended. If they had just walked in hand-in-hand hand and kept walking straight ahead, I think that would have been, like, oh, they're friends. They're really close friends. Um, whereas this is, like, clearly trying to say something. Right. Turning and also, gazing is a little right, different. Right. It's mirroring also, the, yeah, the Katara and Aang final, final show. Yes, kiss. yeah, yeah. And you also, with you know, the like, same theme with the same music playing mm-hmm. over it. I don't think a same-sex kiss could have happened on Nickelodeon, especially on the show, which has already done so many things that were impossible on Nickelodeon shows. Or I don't think they even would know. have tried to put that up. Yeah, I think that yeah. what we're seeing is exactly how forceful they wanted to be. And you guys are all being very nice. I feel much more like this is like the end of book one where they're like, she was going to jump off the cliff. That's what the tear <laughs> meant. Right. <laughs> I'm not saying that there are Suicide right and truthers. absolutely right and absolutely wrong ways to interpret somebody else's art. But on my podcast, this is, right. you know, it's, it's, a ro- it's a romantic relationship in a world that, you know, doesn't limit an avatar's romantic preference to being bisexual or gay mm. or whatever, any sort of, like, label. I understand that this media exists uh, in this world where we get to talk about it, but that doesn't mean that we get to make the characters uh, our straw men for our various feelings about it. The characters ended, I think, exactly well, where they needed to. 
Well, and I mean, I think the the create the creative team behind Core has been hasn't made an official statement on it one way or another, but they have been like reposting things like <laughs> n- not just not just my thing, but like they have been reposting things that feels like an implicit confirmation. Yeah. Right, of that. people on Twitter were talking to me about the ending, being like, uh, "Well, it's kind of open for interpretation," and then Jeremy Zuckerman on Twitter <laughs> right. was like, "Yeah, oh, sure, interpretation, winky emoji." Yeah, exactly. And like some of the voice actors, I mean, like they, they all feel, I think that they all believe in Korosami. And I, I think it's like, yeah, it is, you can interpret it any way you want to. It's entirely fine. You just have to work really hard for interpretation. You have to sweat sweat like Bolin knocking over a building in order to make this not romantic. Let's talk about, I mean, quickly talk about this on a different level, which is, is it fan service? Does it seem to be paying off for shippers uh, as opposed to clicking into Cora's story. I've seen some people argue that, you know, this wasn't really a – we didn't want her to end up with anyone because, you know, you don't have to just end up with someone. There doesn't have to be romance in every mm-hmm. story. So does it kind of mm, go I w- off I w- in a direction it doesn't need to because it's somehow being fan service? I personally don't agree with that. But I don't I – don't, I, I think if it's anything, I, if it, it, I think it is a reaction to – um, realizing that they're going to have to continue all these characters from book one, which they thought was a mini series, and they did this love trial angle thing to like get this teenage angle, but then suddenly they're like, if we're going to portray this as a real story over several years in story world, we need to make this character have a focus and have real. And I think like that's where it came out of because Asami was just the rich person whose dad was a villain who you know was our third love triangle or love square eventually when Bolin got involved in that first season but like yeah this the episode the spirit of competition was like all the good asami stuff uh, in book one and so then to suddenly like come back that to make her a full character i think they slowly developed it i don't think it was like something where it's like after book three they're like oh this hashtag seems to be trending a lot on tumblr Right. I mean, I think it's been seeded. Like, I really do. Even before, yeah, the Korosami thing happened. But if it is fan service, then so is jo- Julie and Varric. Yeah, that feels more oh, like yeah. fan service to me, or feels out of touch with the narrative it's spinning than this. Right. This feels, yeah. they've been fanning this flame. And yeah. I also wonder if, and this is a weird thing to say, I guess, but I wonder if they told us that uh, homosexuality you know, is is very much a thing, very much present in this world by having that moment a few episodes ago when Sue's son jumps into Bolin's arms and gives him these googly eyes. Because we all <laughs> felt that moment. Yeah, yeah. We know that. We know what that look meant. And we're like, that exists. That's a thing. And it's, uh-huh. and it's cool. And it's great. That's um, interesting. And that kind of like puts it in our mind. Yes, that, that thinking, that sexuality exists. And, you know, I've also heard people talking about uh, you know, sexuality is not part of this story. Uh, it doesn't, you know, romance and sexuality, but like they're the same thing. Everyone has yeah. them. That's part of your character. It's okay. It's natural, guys. It's don't yeah. be afraid of it. Yeah, <laughs> the act, the act of sex has nowhere in this series, but sure. that's that's about it. But lust. Fact, I mean, where do you air people have babies come from? I don't know. <laughs> the air stork. Well, um, I mean, we didn't get to <laughs> lust. We got we got to like serious crushing and who kissed who. We didn't. We haven't proceeded to lust yet. What? Yeah. Yeah. I don't How think we've got, we have lust. People have been lustful. If you chase a boy, if a boy chases a girl, that's <laughs> lust. What are you talking the, about? No, no, no. That's like a crush. Replace your eyeballs. Not if you want to no. kiss them. <laughs> I, I think uh, 
Dave is talking about lust in the more uh, Dave needs to see it. Carnal, carnal sense. Carnal yeah. sense. Carnal. Yeah. Carnal. He needs carnal. to see it. If it does, if he doesn't see it, it doesn't. Yeah, exist. if he doesn't see the death camps <laughs> and he doesn't see Cornasomi kiss, then it never happened. Hey, I, um, I grew up like watching Pepe Le Pew uh, cartoons, so I'm pretty sure I have like a skewed oh version anyway. God. But yeah. Yeah. it seems That'll like that's you. like a part of childhood. Is like you have this crush and you chase and you sort of like want to hate them but can't. Yeah. That's how it goes. I, I love how the Korra and Asami moment, by the way, sort of mirrors last season's ending, where it was Asami taking care of her after Korra was just kind of uh, broken. Yeah. And I love that that thread just came all the way through, too, because at the beginning of this season, we see that Korra was only writing letters right. to Asami, you know, and we talked yeah, about that cool. at the beginning of the season. Like, what does that mean for their relationship? And I think we even hinted at the fact that it could be romantic. And oh, at the time, about it. Yeah. 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 And at the time, I thought it was just, you know, they're just very good friends, but it also, it totally makes sense for it to end this way too like it's yes. they're clearly Cora compared to she can't be close to Mako in the same way she can't be close to Bolin but Asami is somebody who she can actually talk to and who can understand her right. and, and I'm just, glad oh god sorry go ahead oh I'm glad it was the last shot because then it's on the table the yeah. show addressed it Mike but we Trump. don't have to deal with any of the fallout exactly. it's not like it's not like blowing up Amon, and it's like now death exists in this world. Yeah, so yeah. now everybody's on the table. This but is like have, okay, this exists. This is the first time referencing it. And thank you for watching Legend of Korra. Yeah, and to that point, though, um, I feel like this is in keeping with what Brian and Mike have done the entire time, which is uh, push boundaries when it comes to Korra. Like push what children's entertainment can be and mm-hmm. what you can show. And that's why part of the reason why Nick has like treated them so poorly, I think, is because they have been such I don't know mavericks or whatever you want to say about it. But um, so that's why this is exactly in line with that. Right. Exactly and in line with what they've been trying doing. To, trying to kind of solidify this moment in post-show discussion has been so strange to see people arguing on Tumblr about, no, she's bi. No, she's a lesbian. No, it's too obvious. Why would she be a lesbian? This is <laughs> against everything we believe in. Like, I'm pro-LGBT, but I can't understand this moment because it's 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 so easy to make this woman who has, like, immense power and, uh, you, you know, oh, right, right. man qualities sexist. or something, quote-unquote. Yeah, that, that's, that, that, right. that a woman who's that strong has to be a lesbian. I right, hate that, that argument. Sexist. I hate the argument Very that, dumb. like, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's just... Uh. It's just, like, we, we don't need to kind of categorize these things. And it's... and. It, Obviously, it's a really positive uh, categorization. You know, they, people <laughs> want to figure out if she's bi or lesbian. Like, these are great conversations to have in a way. Someone actually yeah. sent us a message saying, "Did we notice that uh, the colors of the bi flag, bi pride flag, appear in the back of the uh, spirit portal as they're entering?" I'm like, what? "Oh yeah, okay, yeah. maybe this is like going to new conspiracy like, levels." This, have you noticed the spirit out? world is the bi flag? Yeah, I'm like, what? What? As they're looking out over the, the uh, as they're looking out over the horizon, it actually is this very similar colors. So. The bi pride yeah. flag is like fuchsia and purple and blue, and isn't yeah. it like all greens and yellows? When no, like- so before this is before they step into the spirit portal. Oh. So when they're looking out over the horizon, <laughs> the sun is setting, and it is very all like right. the order of the colors is very much. Maybe there's like maybe there's something blue. to that. There, there was totally something. But the, to the that. point the true. point is, we don't need to put this moment in a folder. We don't need to file right, it away right. under a, a, a win for certain teams this is why we invented the kinsey scale this is why sexuality is fluid there's yeah, we should sure just be happy like... that these two are having this right. immense romantic sweet just absolutely lovely moment i was just so swept up by it like that is such emotional connection mm-hmm. and we don't have to put the label on it stamp it and file it away we can just we need to bask in this romance oh yeah it's incredible. i feel like the 
it might sound, it might be ignorant for me to say so, but I really, <laughs> that's a good way to preface any statement, but like, <laughs> I really do feel like the bisexual versus lesbian argument isn't completely useful here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And, and to your point, Patches, it, it just feels earned. Honestly, to me, it feels earned. The, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, she's gay. I mean, it's earned like Willow being gay is earned. It's seated in oh. there. So, I was sorry, saying, I had are to we get really going to spend an hour and plus <laughs> minutes to, and not make a Buffy reference? <laughs> no, I mean, if we want to talk about characters that go bisexual in their comic continuation of their story, then we could stay on Buffy. Uh, yeah. no, hey, yo. Let's not do yeah. that. You can yeah. talk about that on the thought <laughs> bubble. Let's Willow. move on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm glad we unpacked that. I'm still. I would love to hear more people's opinions about it. Uh, I think we just all agree that it was a, a triumph for this story that totally paid off. I, I couldn't be happier with the way that this series concluded, uh, not on an action beat, but on a very sweet character moment, which is what the show has been all about. Why don't we talk about very little moments very quickly? Uh, if there's anything we could possibly have missed in this episode that comes <laughs> to mind, anything, I'm going to start with Dave. Oh man, I was just trying to like scan my. I was trying to find that perfect thing that Anything. no one's talked well, about. Well, anyone who who has something, I'll I'll throw it. I'll throw yeah, one yeah, out do, here. Do I um, really appreciated that the Airbenders swoop into their first attack in a flying V, which I started <laughs> chanting at my television. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that they're they're that's ducks. a Mighty Ducks reference, kids. Yeah. Wait, yeah. people don't know that. Not the like, like you younger have to understand. It is 2014. Oh Matt. People who are 14 years old now were are born we in 2000. Yeah, old? nobody knows what Mighty Ducks we're, is. Who was born people, in the 90s? Patches, it's okay. that, they they are back real in my day. Yeah, they are now, but they don't um, know what the flying bee thing oh references from the movie. My um, my moment really is Milo saving Tenzin. But since I already mentioned that, I guess I'll say the perfection of instead of kiss the bride, it was yes. do the thing. For Varric and Julie. So many Great. do the thing references in this episode. I think they also do the thing or fail to do a thing at the EMP. There are no more things to do. So there are really, no more things really, to do, sir. No that is sad. And I that love visual that, uh, also of Julie like jumping into his arms and Varric pointing. Ugh, yes. It's such a great great visual okay. so good and she gets the kiss dip at the end too like yeah, so i feel like the little empowered. moments are all yeah Beric and julie that is wonderful uh dave um i like the idea that uh the mech can reach the spot on Varric's back that he can't reach and he thinks that's great <laughs> it's all Varric moments he just he it has is. all the lines He's got a lot of the good little moments. Mm-hmm. Wait, Devinder, did we hit you, or were you also I, I jumping on the, the Varric train? Dip. Julie oh, okay. getting the kiss dip was uh, was. Uh, I love the fact that you could put Varric in something and have him just like say a quick quip or do something funny, mm-hmm. and that'll like help carry the momentum <laughs> of the scene. Yes. So I love that. I love that they totally used Varric and Julie to their like full potential. I uh, God, there's so much. Um, the one other thing I wanted to mention was there's so many little action moments here. There was a part where Jeremy's music starts going like clack. And, yeah. um, and and yeah, that was, that was that was actually I recorded that part for the episode, a uh, little inside pop up video thing there. Uh, Cora just starts picking up rocks and like throwing them at Kuvira's head, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate. I just loved every little animation moment involving this robot thing acting like a human, just like stomping on people or catching it catches its foot yeah. when the first attack. Uh, happens. It's so incredible. It uses uses the buildings to pull itself out <laughs> yes, of the ice. <laughs> that is awesome. All of that stuff. Um, gosh, we're gonna be talking about this forever, aren't we? Actually, we're not because this is this is the end. This is this no more is, things to do. Patches. This is the thing. Yeah, we can no, no longer do the thing because there's no longer a show to do the thing about. Um, but 
We'll probably be back in some shape or form, just mm-hmm. to let people know, because uh, people in the comments have been asking, oh, would you keep doing episodes about the comic books? Yeah, maybe. Um, we're, I think we're going to be talking to Jeremy and Ben again about sound and music, um, maybe in January, so we'll, we'll probably have That video game's then. really bad. I could talk about that for a Let's while. I don't know if I want to, I don't want to go into that. <laughs> I don't want to spend the time playing an awful video game. <laughs> maybe if they put another video game out, I'd play that. Uh, since, we could talk about uh, that. Since Breaker, obviously fans of our podcast, as we found out from our comments section, will surely be having an we'll episode have fake, with them, yeah, right? Fake Breik <laughs> is going to talk about Book 5 energy <laughs> BS. Um, Maybe we can have a chat about like the anime series to watch to deal with your Korra loss, oh, yes. your Korra withdrawal. Call- Cowboy Bebop is now all on Hulu. Cowboy Bebop's on Hulu. Uh, oh. Escaflone, which I talked about uh, many, many times, is very Korra. It's actually not even out on DVD anymore because it used to be from Bandai. So Funimation's bringing that back sometime really? next year so we can actually we i would love to talk about more that anime talk yeah, yeah people have been talking wondering if we'll we'd cover another show who knows uh who knows? i don't know you know it's so funny because cora not to get really emotional here but to get really emotional here uh <laughs> there aren't many shows like this and i don't think when we started we knew what we were getting ourselves into uh I, I we were just so moved on an emotional level on, on a visceral action level uh everything went right with this series even when things were going wrong there was so much to talk about and i think that's really rare even in this renaissance of television joanna slapping her forehead right now going god why, why do you have to bring up the renaissance of television because <laughs> uh, we quarrel about that on g channel this, this is our fight yeah this is our constant fight uh but this show offered so much to talk about and offered so many uh uh, our conversations prompted you guys to talk to us about it, and it's been so wonderful. So we thank you all, and hopefully maybe we'll find another show like that in the future or continue this podcast in some ways, but uh, everything that we've done, we, we've treasured it. I, I think I can speak for all of us when I say that. Uh, we have to get Devendra to the Hobbit, Battle of the Five Armies. I'm so excited. Because he deserves to be punished for all the hard work uh. he's done. Uh, so why don't we wrap up and tell people where they can find us on the internet. Devendra? Sure, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. I write about tech at ngadget.com, and I podcast about movies and TV at slashfilm.com. We're going to be doing our top 10 episodes soon, so keep an eye out for that. Joanna? Uh, you can find my written work on vanityfair.com. I talk about television on the Station Agents podcast. I, we will also be doing our top episodes of the week or the year this week. So I will, Cora will definitely get a shout out there. And if that's not enough of me, you can hear uh, me talk about comic books with Dave over on the Thought Bubble podcast. Yay. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at DA7E. I'm going to sacrifice myself plugging to say uh, when there's a live action movie in this universe, I feel like your humble four hosts are of good ethnic mix slash prettiness <laughs> of the face to be, you know, some background characters. I totally want to be a background character. Equalists, yeah. you know, we're, we're ready. Uh, I think uh, Patches and I are us. too Caucasian for this world. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we would get lambasted. Ridley Scott would hire us for his movie. <laughs> uh, or Shyamalan. Do you really think there's going to be a live-action movie? I have heard no. through the grapevine that, that everyone wants to make a movie, well, no. not of this, necessarily. I want to do an animated movie, for sure. Yeah. I want if we get someone's right. ear, it's going to be on our series finale episode, so I wanted to make sure to end with that. Movies, <laughs> movies. We uh, want to be in movies. Background voice actors, clearly our voices are great. Oh, yeah, right. that's true. Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, Shio Shinobi's great as it is. I hope he <laughs> survived. But if he didn't survive, I'm, I'm, I'm on board for your next announcer. 
And I'm Matt Patches, and I write all over the place on the internet. Try and put everything on my Tumblr, mattpatches.com. And I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. And I wrote about this episode at screencrush.com, but those days are numbered. Uh, but all of the, all the old recaps are there if you ever want to read them. Um, and that's it. That was The Legend of Korra. This was Republic City Dispatch. We had an amazing time talking to you. Thank you. And until we meet again, farewell. Farewell.